You're listening to The Message from the Hillsborough United Methodist Church, our weekly sermon broadcast available for working around the home, your commute, or wherever God calls you to listen. As I mentioned at the beginning of worship this morning, it is Trinity Sunday, which nobody knows about. But it usually falls on the first Sunday after uh, Pentecost. And it's a chance for the church to sort of celebrate and embrace and and remember the doctrine of the Trinity, the three-in-one God that we serve. And I know you've been waiting with bated breath all year for Trinity Sunday. It is, a, it is a strange sort of moment in the life of the church because it is such a complicated, complex idea. It's an impossible idea to understand, really. And as Methodists, we are particularly challenged because our founder, John Wesley, for all of his gifts, was more a practical theologian than a systematic theologian. He was someone who found pragmatic answers to real-world issues rather than really digging into the doctrines of the church. So we, as inheritors of John Wesley's sort of tradition, often find ourselves finding practical answers rather than dealing with the more detailed nuances of theology. But we are part of the Christian tradition, and it is at the heart of the Christian tradition to understand God as three in one. There's a video that I shared on the church's Facebook page that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but actually does a good job of sort of explaining the impossibility of understanding the Trinity. Um, It's a video that was originally made for uh, St. Patrick's Day because St. Patrick is famous for having uh, taught and and evangelized in Ireland and using the three-leaf clover as a symbol of the Trinity. Uh, So you should watch the video because it's really pretty funny uh, and it's well worth your time. There are other images besides uh, silly cartoons from sarcastic Lutherans about the Trinity. There are other ways of thinking and embracing and learning about who God is. One of those that, again, not part of our United Methodist tradition, not really even part of the Western church's tradition, but especially from the East, is the use of icons, of imagery that invites us to reflect and really draws us through the image into an encounter with the divine. You might have seen icons before. They often have a gold background. There's an image of uh, one of the saints of the church, of Jesus or of Mary, uh, and they're sort of stylized. In fact, when people who create icons create them, they don't draw them or paint them. The word that you use for creating an icon is to write an icon because it's seen as a visual language. There's a famous icon that I'm going to have on the screen now to tell you a bit about. This icon comes from Russia, from uh, an artist called Andrei Rublev. 
Some of you may have seen this before. Uh, Richard Rohr, uh, a writer, a popular writer and uh, mystic in the US, has sort of repopularized this icon in some of his teaching and in some of his writing. This icon was created in the 15th century. And it, it was originally called the Trinity or Abraham's hospitality because what Rublev has done in this icon is to take the story from Genesis of Abraham welcoming three strangers into his tent and incorporated that into the ideas and theology of the Trinity, of, of God, the three, in, the three persons in one substance coming to visit Abraham. And so these three persons in this Trinity image um, reflect something of Rublev's thinking about who God is. There is God the Father on the left side, left-hand side of the image um, in the blue color of divinity, um, but also the red color of um, the sort of fire and passion of the creator. The central figure is the Christ figure with a blue tunic um, to sort of represent his divinity, but also a brown uh, sort of earthy robe to remind us of his humanity. And then the Holy Spirit is depicted on the uh, right-hand side in blue and green to reflect both the divinity, but also the call to new life. Um, there are images that are other, other images that are incorporated into this um, into this icon that sort of helped to develop the theology that Rublev is communicating. You notice that they are, in their imagery, sort of making a circle. They're not enclosed in a circle. They are the circle. They are the never-ending, all-inclusive reflection of who God is. It's an interesting image to look at and to reflect on. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to invite us to have a few moments of silence and to reflect again on this icon. But one more thing I want to draw your attention to before we clear it off the screen. Near the bottom, between the two figures on the left and right, there's a small sort of rectangular shape that's built into the table. You can't really see it all that well, um, and it's not clear what it is exactly, except that there is a theory that perhaps originally um, this icon included a small mirror in that location. So that as you looked at the icon, you saw yourself reflected in the circle of divine love between Father, Son, and Spirit. That the work of God is to bring us all into God's all-inclusive love. It's impossible to get words around something that's impossible to explain. The church has often offered lots of doctrine and teaching about the Trinity, but all of it ultimately points to a mystery, something that is finally unknowable. And if it's unknowable, there's a part of us and a part of me, if I'm honest, that just goes, well, does it really matter? I don't believe that when we die, that I don't believe that there's a Pearly Gates interview, first of all. But if there were, I'm pretty sure that the first question is not, can you please explain the doctrine of the Trinity? I don't think God cares that much if we get our words exactly right. So why would we bother 
Should we just skip this weird stuff and be nice to each other, be loving and take care of our community? And the easy answer is yes. And yet, there is something to be said for embracing and engaging the hard work of pursuing an understanding of God, not because we're going to get a final answer, but because the pursuit of God with the fullest ability of our intellect and with our heart shapes us to be more loving disciples of Jesus. I lived in Boise for a brief time in my life. And while I was there, uh, I saw people who would fly fish. It seemed, uh, I grew up in Texas. There's not a lot of fly fishing. There's more dynamite fishing in Texas than fly fishing. Uh, but I thought, that looks like fun. And, and I watched the movie A River Runs Through It. And I don't know how anybody watches that movie and doesn't want to go buy a fly rod and learn how to fly fish. It's an amazing, beautiful, artistic movie that just is sort of beautiful scenes of, of the characters fly fishing in, in Montana. And so a friend said, do you want to learn to fly? Yes, I want to learn to fly fish. And they asked if I want to learn how to tie the flies. I'm like, no, I don't want to learn. <laughs> Maybe someday, but just get me out there. So we got out to the river and they handed me around. They said, do you want to know? I said, yeah. You just kind of, they said, well, I mean, yeah. Okay, so off I went. They gave me just a couple of instructions about how you cast a fly rod because it's not like a rod with a bait and a weight on the end where you could just sort of sling it like a baseball. You have to be careful. I thought, oh, I got this. 10 and 2. I watched the movie. And sure enough, the first time I did it, I caught a bush behind me. Once as I was sort of bringing the fly rod back and forth and the fly was making, it was right at my face. I remember once I thought, okay, I've got it, I've got it. And the fly lands like just barely off the bank in the water. It was hard. It was really, really hard to do well. So I didn't go fly fishing anymore. Because, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to eat the things, first of all. And why would I do the hard thing that I got so frustrated by? But... If I'd stuck with it, if I had done the hard thing of learning how to cast a fly rod well, if I had done the hard thing of learning how to tie my own flies, I know that I would have come to a place where I enjoyed that pursuit. I also know that I would have come to a place where I was shaped by that pursuit. By the act of being a fly fisherman, I would have been changed Learn some patience. Learn the detailed craft of making flies, of paying attention to the world around me. I think that's probably true for almost anything that we pursue that is hard. That's impossible to truly perfect. Woodworkers learn patience and attention to detail. People who do knitting and crochet learn an attention to detail and a mindfulness that is so much like prayer. People who embrace those arts and crafts 
those endeavors that are impossible to perfect, but that are always inviting us to learn more, I bet they would all tell you that they are shaped as much by the practice themselves as they make something out of it. They are making something in their own life more than they're making something with their own hands. And I wonder if perhaps that's what we miss when we skip past the hard stuff of thinking about the Trinity or the divine and human nature of Jesus. We're never going to get to a place where we understand it perfectly. But we might be shaped by that pursuit in such a way that we become more faithful disciples. It's not that having a proper version of a proper doctrine of the Trinity makes us more loving, but pursuing an understanding of God who is always just a little beyond our ability to comprehend shapes us for humility and with joy for the opportunity to serve a God who is bigger than we can ever imagine. Maybe that's the value of some of our theological endeavors. It's not that we come to a, a clear and concise statement of who God is or how God works, but rather that in that pursuit, we encounter God in ways that we hadn't before. It opens our hearts and minds to encounters that we had not expected. One of the things that Richard Rohr talks about in that icon of Andrei Rublev of the Trinity is that those three persons make a circle and that their gaze sort of moves around the circle and their gestures that are sort of implied by the positions of their hands invite a consideration of, of movement among and through all three of them. There's a mutuality that happens. One of the things that I uh, learned that I had not known about before is that a lot of times icons, especially in Russia, when they were done being written, they would be covered in a sort of drying, preserving layer, kind of a veneer or shellac. But over time, over 60 to 90 years, that, that protective covering would darken. And at the end of that 60 or 90 years, it would be almost opaque. And so the icon would be restored, but it was restored not by removing that layer, protective layer, but by adding a new icon on top that was reflective of and, and sometimes very much like the original, but was adapted to sort of the contemporary thinking about how to write an icon. This process happened three or four times with Rublev's Trinity, three or four layers of that icon being renewed and remade each time. But the image that we have now, those layers have been removed to get back to the original 600-year-old image. Something in that process I find fascinating and appealing, the idea of digging through the layers to get to something beautiful. It's certainly true that the other layers of the icon were beautiful. But to get to the heart of that thing, to see Rublev's brushstrokes and imagery, that pursuit brought those who were part of it closer to understanding who that man was and what he was trying to communicate.
so we could skip past the Trinity. Don't tell the bishop I said that. But honestly, let's be, let's be clear here. Our lives are not automatically changed because we have the right, proper doctrine of the Trinity. They are changed. Our lives are shaped by the pursuit of God. At the heart of that icon, Richard Ward tells us, is the idea of mutuality, of love that flows between the three persons of the Godhead, and then reflected in the mirror, we see ourselves drawn into that love that is entire and is perfect because we are part of it. There is work to do, brothers and sisters. And if we have to choose between feeding a hungry neighbor and digging into the doctrine of the Trinity, Jesus wants us to feed our hungry friends. But we don't have to choose one or the other. We get to do both. We get to pursue God in our heart and mind and soul and what we think and reflect and learn and share with one another and in what we do to care for one another and our neighbors. These are not two different pursuits. They are one, one pursuit in two different avenues of seeking after God in our lives. So let's not skip the hard stuff. Let's be shaped by a God who is always bigger than we can imagine so that we can love our neighbors and our community more deeply and truly than we could ever imagine possible. And that, my friends, is the good news this day. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Hillsborough United Methodist Church. Our senior pastor is Clay Andrew. Our pastor for Las Naciones Hispanic Ministries is Jorge Rodriguez. Our media ministers are Kevin Proctor, Janica Stewart, Perry Hume, Al Dietrich, Christy Proctor, and Dave Rose. Presently, our live stream of services are available at 10 a.m. on the Hillsborough United Methodist Church YouTube page. You can find out more, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube at hillsboroughumc.org. Thank you.